Hey Rebels, my name is Matthew Barton. Welcome to the Rebellion Brewing Podcast. Some big changes have rolled out in the local craft beer scene that are going to fundamentally reshape the way we think about how our beer industry operates. The province recently announced changes to how it classifies alcohol producers and modified the way it applies taxes to product made locally. Today, I'm sitting down with Mark Heisey, the president and CEO of Rebellion Brewing. He's also the current president of the Saskatchewan Craft Brewers Association, also known as the SCBA. The Brewers Association has been working behind the scenes to help make changes to legislation to more closely match what's been done in Alberta and BC. But there's a lot more to unpack here, a lot more detail to explain. So let's get into it. Mark, welcome to the show. Right on. Let's do it. How's it going? <laughs> Let's talk about taxes and policies and government and stuff. It's fun. That's actually so. These are my favorite topics, honestly. Why is that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm a policy wonk, and I love uh, I love economics. I actually would have had a, if I would have actually finished university, I'd have a degree in economics, and I took a lot of political science. So yeah, this stuff's fun. I think when it comes to answering that "why should I care?" question. To me, very simplistically, in my mind, it says we get to win more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it just it comes down to you know you need you need a, you need a plan, you need strategy, you need a policy, um, and uh, and you need partners that are on board with things. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. You know, you can you can be as strong-willed and uh, belligerent and strong-minded as you want, but without a lot of that uh, that background, all that work in the background, it doesn't really matter. And so we'll maybe get into a little bit of that today. Well, let's start from the beginning. Let's assume that somebody has no knowledge of what's going on, but maybe they're into craft beer. What's been happening in the craft beer scene? In terms of the policies and production and taxes and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, so the big change that was the SLGA uh, announced as of December 1st is that there is now two tiers of uh, craft manufacturing, craft manufacturing uh, under breweries. So that one requires a little bit of a history lesson in that it even goes all the way back into the 90s when they first started allowing uh, microbreweries to exist. And the challenge there was that it was... Uh, it was very advantageous to open a microbrewery because you also were given an off-sale license at that time. And so a lot of folks opened up these breweries that were not actually um, mashing grain. They weren't using raw grains and uh, malted barley. They were buying extract, and we used to affectionately refer to them as stir and serve, kind of the equivalent of like a, of a Betty Crocker cake mix. You're not really baking anything. You're dumping a package in and uh, throwing it in an oven and out it pops. Um, so folks were kind of getting around the, they were basically taking advantage of the rules, making this horrible stir and serve beer so that they could get a very lucrative, uh, off sale license. I remember they'd sell that garbage for like nickels a glass and it would give you a rotten headache and just make you sick. Exactly. And so that's when we look at when you, it, it's really important to note that to say, why has, um, <clears throat> craft beer not, why was it behind the times in Saskatchewan to explode? It's because of that, because it, there was no reason, there was not, not a lot of encouragement to make great beer. You had to be so determined to, uh, to buck the trend. And then pu the public uh, perceptions of it is that this beer is terrible and it's garbage. And even, even when you, I would go to those establishments, the staff would say, don't order the beer. It's terrible. 
So that that really sets the stage as to where it was. And so they, they closed some of that loophole in that you could no longer get an off-sale license um, with a brewery permit. And so a lot of those folks abandoned that stir-and-serve model. So that was, that was kind of the first step of kind of uh, – getting out of the way of bad policy, if that makes sense. So the government righted that about 10 years ago. And so now, anyways, they've, what they've now created is this tier one and tier two type of manufacturer. So a type one is, again, what we would consider an all-grain traditional brewery where you're actually using grains. And then a type two is where you're using some form of extract. You're not actually using uh, malted barley and, and true grains. And so those two tiers are taxed very differently. Wouldn't you want to be using all grains and all ingredients to have control over what your end product is? I mean, of course. I mean, again, it's not it's not a very common thing outside of Saskatchewan because the beer just doesn't taste very good. And that extract is expensive. It's expensive to make. It's expensive to import and buy. And it doesn't make good beer. So there's not a lot of business sense to really do that. But um, it was still it's still a pretty uh, significant change to actually delineate that Uh on a uh, from a government level they're they're literally saying there's good well it's good beer and bad beer but yeah yeah we we want people to make traditional beer you know beer is a beer has you know centuries of history it's all based on science and natural ingredients and we really value that and we want to preserve that and as much as we want to create and innovate there's just there's that lineage that we want to be a part of and we don't ever want to lose that and cut corners so uh it's it's a very important uh change by the government to actually acknowledge that when you say cutting corners, that kind of takes me back to the idea of talking about processed food, where consumers seem to be more aware and care about what's going into their body and how it's manufactured. And we often talk about we don't use preservatives or artificial flavors or artificial syrups to get what's happening in our products. Whereas we know other bigger breweries do to save money absolutely and so it's uh it's a it's a it's a very fundamental change to see the government's perspective uh again they they tax giant breweries at a much higher rate um again because they're they're producing their beer at you know pennies a glass because they are cutting corners they are using cheap filler like high fructose corn syrup and all sorts of things right and so um yeah, that, that, they, they should be taxed accordingly because their profits are, are ridiculous. You look at AB InBev, I mean, they're pushing profit margins at 25%. And I mean, and they're, they're bringing in multiple, multiple billions of dollars in revenue every year. 25% of that is pure profit. I mean, wow, they should be taxed. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the books I had to read when I was in university. There was one by Upton Sinclair that was all about how they make sausages and it led to the creation of the Peer Food and Drug Act where they basically said, we're going to tell you that you can't put sawdust and garbage into your meat products because you could kill people. And then very quickly it became a value statement to eat clean and good food. It wasn't just for the rich, it was something everybody deserved as of a human right. Yeah, absolutely. It's acknowledging that. It's acknowledging uh, the importance of, of real food. And also it, it does acknowledge the the significant cost and expense of producing real food. Um, you know, again, you can go to your favorite convenience store or big box store or whatever. And, you know, they're selling, you know, chicken nuggets for whatever, 
ridiculously cheap price, I mean, those aren't real chicken nuggets. Like, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> There's a reason why they're so ridiculously cheap. And uh, on, a, on me on a personal level, that, that that's concerning. I mean, I want I want I want to eat real food, and I want people to enjoy and understand what real food is. And so, so some of these things are kind of going to tax changes like this are going to help uh, help hopefully preserve that, and and uh, people will take notice and appreciate that. What else was going on under the old rules in terms of taxation? Yeah, so so when they created these new tier one and tier two, so there is a we we pay a we pay a production tax here in the province. So for every liter of beer we produce, we have to pay a, a tax to the government on top of all the other taxes we have to pay as a business and as a and as a liquor producer. So there's always been this production tax, and that's fine. We accept that there should be a production tax. Um, but for, you know, about the last four or five years, we've been, uh, many of us at, on the SCBA and, and at Rebellion and otherwise, um, have been taught, trying to work with the SLGA because the production tax rates are uh, quite high compared to other provinces, uh, especially the ones closest to us, Manitoba and Alberta. And again, that's important because there's competitive advantages and disadvantages. And I mean, even ourselves, if we were looking to build a bigger brewery, and I've told the ministers, the, the, the several ministers over the last four or five years, the SLGA, if I'm going to build another brewery and spend $5 million, I would be insane to build it in Saskatchewan. I should build it in Alberta or Manitoba. My profits will be higher. They, they just will be. And I said, I don't want to do that. I want to build it here. But give me a reason to do that. Right. And, uh, so that was, you know, that was part of the argument and, um, you know, we're ultimately fighting on the, on the shelf space as well on the retail stores in across the province. And again, when these other breweries are able to, uh, they're getting basically getting the hometown discount in Alberta. Well, then it's really easy to sell beer cheaper here and undercut us. And so, uh, we've been, we've been making that argument as well to the SLGA. So per liter, they're paying less tax, and when they import into Saskatchewan, they don't have to pay the Saskatchewan taxes, so they can sell it at relatively the same price, but claim more profit compared to what's happening with yeah, or they Yeah, they can do that, or they can run it as a loss leader here just to, um, just to take up market share and to just uh, keep their, biz their breweries running at full capacity. You know, again, they've, they've got a, a lot of the... the the beer, the beer uh, culture in those provinces are ahead of Saskatchewan, so a lot of folks have invested in big breweries, and they're trying to keep it. They're trying to make get their money's worth out of that and keep their staff busy and working. So that's where we, when we talk about dumping beer into other provinces or dumping beer into Saskatchewan, that's what those breweries are doing. And it's, you know, I don't, I don't hate those breweries. I understand why they're doing it, <laughs> but they're doing it because, but they're at, at the same time, there's a competitive disadvantage to breweries in Saskatchewan because we can't do that. Um, part and parcel of that, of building a bigger brewery. The other real challenge is that we, uh, again, we were originally way, way back, we were limited to only being able to produce 5,000 hectoliters of beer. A hectoliter is 100 liters. For some reason, the brewing industry in Canada, everything is in hectoliters. So uh, no one, I don't know anyone else that uses hectoliters as a standard measurement other than the brewing industry in Canada, but here we are. So in Saskatchewan, we were actually capped at 5,000 hectoliters. We couldn't grow beyond that. So they did, uh, they did make some changes four years ago or so that allowed us to grow beyond that. But it was still very much capped, and they didn't change the, the, the tax rates as well. So this new change, um, we can now do our own self-distribution and grow to up to 30,000 hectoliters. That's a lot. That's a lot more. 
So, you know, some of the bigger breweries here were pushing 5,000, 6,000, 7,000. So, you know, it was time to make that change. Otherwise, we have to start looking at changing our business model. So um, will anyone ever get to 30,000 hectoliters? I don't know, but that's going to give us, you know, some pretty, uh, pretty good uh, runway to continue growing. And then maybe we'll be back at the table again to say we need to bump that up again. For somebody who doesn't understand the headspace of 5,000 hectoliters, if we had to compare it to the next category up or even the next category after that, what kind of volume are we looking at? So I think, you know, Great Western doesn't necessarily publish their annual production, but um, I I know at times they've gone over, they've produced in excess of 200,000 hectoliters in one year. I think they're, uh, they're a little bit under that nowadays. Um, maybe more around 150,000 to 175,000. And that's kind of where Big Rock as well out of Alberta is. Um, so that just in terms of perspective, yeah, we're, we're so much smaller. And then, of course, big guys like Budweiser, I mean, they're just mammoth. You know, one of their breweries can do 200,000 to 400,000 a year. And they might, own, they might own 60 breweries around the world or 100 breweries around the world. <laughs> so 5,000 is really kind of nothing <laughs> and and to and again to compare it to the other provinces most of them are capped around they're they're allowed to grow up to around uh say eighty thousand to two hundred thousand uh, and still be classified as a craft brewer so thirty thousand is still pretty low but uh we'll take it for today we'll take it for today <laughs> when we're talking about the next five to ten years what do these regulatory changes mean for us as an industry not just as rebellion brewing but as a whole right so that's that's the real if, if you're able to follow with my nonsense that i just spewed out it's setting the table for growth it's setting the table for jobs economic prosperity tourism it's setting the table for all of that so um alberta as i mentioned you know alberta uh made a change to their rates again probably about five years ago and so previous to that i think there was probably around six breweries in the in Alberta, maybe 10 or 12 at the most. Um, I believe they've issued now 150 brewing licenses in Alberta. That's wild. So because they created the environment for growth and to encourage people to say, open a brewery here, you know, here's a way, here's a model that works. And in Manitoba, they made the same changes about uh, four years ago. And so again, previous to that, they, there was two craft breweries in Manitoba and there's now uh, over 40. So that's that's pretty exciting, and I you know, you, you it has to be because of the changing the dem, changing the landscape, and you can say, oh, there's demand for craft beer, sure, but like if the policies are prohibitive, if you're capped at five thousand hectoliters, that's pretty tough to even make much of an effort at that. So this really just, you know, it, it's not meant as a, as an insult to SLGA. They have a very important role, but what I like to say to them is set up the environment for us to do our thing and get out of the way. That doesn't mean turn a blind eye to, to things that are, you know, not, not above board and all that. They have a very important regulatory role, but create an environment that we can do our thing. And we've always just said, let us, let us do what everyone else has done. Let us, uh, have an amazing, uh, beer culture and appreciation for local products like in BC or even the BC wine, right? Where, they just, there's so much pride and they love it. And the entire government and tourism, everyone promotes the heck out of it. Um, that's what we want to do here. And we want to do that with beer. And it makes sense to do it in Saskatchewan with beer. This is where we grow the barley. This is where we do all this stuff. And this is where we love beer. We love our beer. So let's love local Saskatchewan beer. So it's it's huge. I, I, I uh, you know, you maybe don't see the immediate effects, but like I can guarantee you in five years, um, 
where the the, the changes uh, there's going to be exponential growth, no doubt. I feel like we've been banging the drum on trying to explain to people how Saskatchewan grows the best barley for malting, which is used in the production of beer for what two years. We're just just trying to get that message out there, and I think people are really internalizing it. It's not a complete shock. Now when I tell people that, they're like, well, yeah, of course our farmers produce the best barley in the world. And now we're seeing this nascent malting industry really growing up and becoming much more aggressive. And we, now we have hops coming out from two different producers and suppliers. I feel like the seeds have been planted and we're about to have this massive explosion. Exactly. It's, it's all cut, starting to come together. You know, it takes time to, uh, to kind of get everyone on the same page, including the general public that wants craft beer. And you're starting to see that just explode. You're seeing the agriculture, the producers uh, wrapping their heads around it. Um, and then you're seeing the different government bodies, you know, whether it's the Ministry of Agriculture, Tourism, Saskatchewan, you know, economic developments, you know, all of that stuff. And they're like, this is a thing. This is important. This is going to create jobs and keep money here. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, we're not there yet, I would say. But uh, I, I, I so, you know, you don't want to. I mean, well, we, we should have some high fives because there are some pretty big accomplishments already. But uh, there's a lot of work to do, but uh, it just feels like the table's been set for success. I, I feel a sense of pride when we can say we don't just pull things out of the ground and then ship it away. We pulled it out of the ground and we turned it into something amazing. They call that the value-added economy, where we have this virtuous cycle that makes life better for our farmers, that produces a superior product for consumers. It's... It just makes sense to me. Exactly. And you're starting to hear that more and more. I was on a conference call earlier this week with the head of the Canadian Craft Brewers Association. And um, you're hearing them use that same language now, again, about value add. And I, when I, I had a meeting with Tourism Regina a month or two ago, and again, they're talking about value add. Again, as opposed, and we, we should be very, very proud of the agriculture industry that we have. But if you talk to any farmer or anyone involved in the agriculture industry, they understand the the value proposition that we're missing out on by just shipping raw inputs out of province to be further processed. And so um, beer is a great place to, to start with that. It just opens the floodgates for any, all these other things and opportunities. And uh, so again, I've been really, really fortunate to be in the room with some, uh, some big leaders of the agriculture industry and uh, they wanted to hear what I had to say. And I was like, like, why do you care? And they're just like, well, beer is so cool, you know? And because uh, I felt completely out of my element. I don't really understand the agriculture industry, but they wanted to hear my input. And uh, my input was that I said, I'm your, I'm your, uh, I'm your marketing arm. That's me. That's, all, that's what I can do. Because a field of barley or a, or a grain truck full of barley is not that interesting or cool to the average person, right? But a glass of beer made locally that tastes really good, well, that gets people's attention. <laughs> I think it's, it's less abstract. It's easy to hold in your hand and imagine a beer. Yeah. Then what the heck's a lentil? So turning that into, that's where, so that's where you start talking about food tourism and brewery tours and all of that stuff. And uh, it, just, it just changes that mindset and creates that sense of pride and culture. And it turns into dollars. It really, really does. So that's where, uh, like I say, that's what gets my juices flowing. That's what gets me excited because I know how important some of these new uh, th these policies are and what the impact is going to be over the next five to ten years. 
One of the things I'm also really proud about is the beer we've selected for today's podcast episode, Night yeah. Viper. Been talking so much, I forgot. Yeah, so we put out another batch of Night Viper, whether you remember it or not. We put out a batch over a year ago. That's right. I think it was around Halloween of 2019. Is that right? That's I don't right. Remember. So, Night Viper is a Mexican hot chocolate stout. And it's seven and a half percent, so we made this one a little bit stronger. It does have lactose if you have any allergy concerns. And uh, the can says spicy, creamy, chocolate, delicious. So I just always want to let people know it's not super spicy. It has, we do add some cinnamon and some chili peppers to it, but in very, very small amounts. So um, myself, I can drink a whole, a whole can of it. I, you know, I don't even notice like a gentle warming or anything. It more just adds some complexity and subtle notes um, that just kind of round out the flavor of the beer. Um, we had pulled back on the spice from last time, right? Yeah, I love the spice complexity of the previous batch. But um, even when I think about myself, though, as much as I appreciate and enjoy spicy beers, there's kind of limited appeal and a limited time and place. So even myself, if I, I've had uh, that first batch of Night Viper, I had cans at home, uh, and I would see it in my fridge, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm not in the mood for a spicy beer tonight. You know, maybe I had a spicy meal or whatever i just was you got to be in the right mood for a spicy beer and so i just wanted to just drop that back a little bit so that's what we did with this batch so it really i mean it's just a big milk chocolate bomb so there's vanilla added to it and we've got the lactose which adds the creaminess kind of that milky sugar sugar note and then we use this uh this product called chalaka which is pure uh liquid chocolate and so it just gives it this insane milk chocolate character. Um, I can't say, I, I'm not knocking other uh, craft breweries that are doing some, uh, you know, milk chocolate beers and whatnot, because uh, I think they're trying to do a lot of the same things we are. But a lot of like the bigger name brands, I mean, they're just using these like nasty extracts. And I don't enjoy those at all. I've kind of just avoided a lot of those chocolate stouts just because of that. But um, yeah, I just feel like this one just really captures the essence of this just beautiful milk chocolate. Other times when I've had uh, milk chocolate stout, you know, I, I crank back a lot of lactate and then I have a few sips, but I get kind of a chalky character. What's what's that from? Yeah, so that's what that's the challenge when you because you you don't want to you need to use a pure form of chocolate and a pure form of chocolate is quite dry and chalky. Um, the reason why what we think of as chocolate as tastes so good is because we take that dry chalky chocolate and then we add a bunch of fat and sugar to it and it tastes really good <laughs> it balances it out <laughs> so it's hard to try to figure out how to do that in a beer right and so you know with this one again i i can't take any credit for it uh, it's all to our brewers it's figuring out that balance of the chocolate of the lactose of the vanilla of the base beer itself you know with the roasted malts and just bringing it all together. And it's that's a really tough thing to execute. The more ingredients you add to a beer, the more tough it is to balance them all. And um, you know, when I was when I was actually the one brewing and coming up with all the recipes, I went with the most dumbest basic recipes you could because I just felt like they were more foolproof. <laughs> and you can still make very delicious. You don't have to always add a bunch of different ingredients to get a lot of com complexity in a beer, but it just it just makes it that much more difficult to execute. So um, I am very, very, I don't know you want to say proud, but uh, I am very uh, 
yeah, I, I'm just so stoked at how how well this beer this beer turned out. So kudos to our brewers. We seem to have a slow burn on this one. It seemed to pick up far later than we had anticipated. And then when it was gone, we had a lot of people asking throughout the year, when are you going to bring it back? Are you going to do it again? And I had to tell them, I don't think it's coming back. And and then we were like, okay, well, yeah, we'll do another one. And now I just want to be able to say, let's let's make it a, a winter seasonal or something. What's yeah, the, the whole evolution of stout is interesting, especially here in Saskatchewan. So, so stouts are quite popular down in the states, but those would be more of the the really big bourbon barrel imperial stouts. So they're pushing 14 percent. They're aged in bourbon barrels. It's a those are big, big beers. I love them. Um, well, I'm thinking of the Marty McFly term. You know, you're not ready for it, but your kids are gonna love it. Um, <laughs> I kind of feel like that's kind of where we where we're at in Saskatchewan with those types of beers. We're not quite there yet. The 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 consumers that this is too, it's just it's too weird and esoteric. But with more of like with the flavored stouts or pastry stouts, if you want to call it, this winter seems to be the year that those are taken off. And uh, you know, I think a lot of that comes down to you know a lot of brewers like. Uh, pile of bones making their uh their uh their stout their cappuccino stout uh, and the uh or the probably the espresso cold brew cold brew americano stout there we go or the uh, coconut porter raspberry porter um stuff like that right blackbridge has always had their milk stout and uh people are finally wrapping their heads around that and not not scared of dark beer i think i I remember one of the first beer articles i wrote in saskatchewan i think it was called don't be afraid of the dark uh, and I was encouraging people to try dark beers, but it it, it didn't work. Nobody, <laughs> no one cared what I had to say back then. <laughs> I think they're, they're paying attention now. But yeah, so that's what I mean. Sometimes you just got to give it time, and then people are like, "Yeah, I do want to drink stouts. I'm not scared of dark beer. These are really delicious." And uh, yeah, so it's it's been fun. So I think I think uh, yeah, folks are finally uh, kind of moving on. There's and it's not that you know we're all bunch of backwards people in Saskatchewan but there's just kind of that natural evolution of beer appreciation and learning and exploring and yeah you don't necessarily start out with Mexican hot chocolate stouts <laughs> <laughs> well I want to thank you for your time today so it's fun I hope people understood a little bit of what we were talking about that it wasn't too too boring but um yeah these are these are huge changes it's uh it's fun to be a part of that and to work together on these things um i know you're trying to wrap up but yeah i mean i I would just it uh it's fun it comes from a grassroots thing it comes from what makes sense it comes from trying to duplicate what's been successful in other jurisdictions it's not uh it's not just some personal agenda where we're trying to you know you know screw the government out of some tax dollars to line our pockets it's uh it's a real genuine thing and a genuine partnership and i i feel really good you know and it's uh you know, sometimes, you know, you see the bat SLGA bashing or government bashing on online and, uh, you know, sometimes it's well-deserved, but, you know, it's not, it isn't always. And, um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of respect for a lot of the people there, you know, and it's, uh, it, it, it's been a long time working on some of these things, but um, I know that they feel really good about the work that they've done as well. And so they, they should feel some, some sense of accomplishment as well, because it's, it's not easy uh, to change things in government. And, uh, you know, Matt and I, former government employees, we're well aware of how, how tough that can be. So that's my, that's my final soapbox rant. So there we go. Cheers. Cheers. Rebels, thanks for listening today. 
you have any questions or comments about this episode, be sure to join us on our brand new Facebook group page, The Rebellion Brewing Podcast. I'm also proud to let you know that we're members of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. It's a one-stop shop for tons of locally produced shows from across our province. You can find them at the SaskatchewanPodcastNetwork.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped so you don't miss out on the latest in SAS craft beer news. We're also on TikTok, so be sure to check us out there. Thank you for joining the Rebellion.